Uh, Heavenly Father, thanks so much uh, that you've preserved this letter uh, through thousands of years. I thank you, Father, that it can be read in this place and pray this morning you would open our ears and our hearts by your Holy Spirit. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. All righty. Well, I wanted to, uh, wanted to start by bringing uh, something to us from um, ancient times. Uh, here's some ancient text messages. Uh, first person texted this. Uh, I like Jesus, but I don't like Paul. I like Jesus. He's excellent. Paul? Yeah, not, not, not so much. Friend replied, yeah, Paul gets it wrong on so many fronts. Not really sure. You know, this Paul guy, he's really got it sorted out. It's like he's just so out of touch with God's heart. I know. Who does he think he is anyway? Now, these text messages have been passed down through the centuries. No. Uh, it's funny, isn't it? That there was something going on in the church in Galatia. Something was happening that Paul was responding to. And it's funny because the questions that they were asking might well be questions that we would be asking or things that we have thought or felt. Jesus is great. Paul, isn't he a little bit hard? Doesn't he say some things that, you know, I kind of wish he hadn't? And so there's this tension between Jesus and Paul that we can come up with. Today we want to have a look at his response to that. And I want to just get us back into the series. Matt started the series for us two weeks ago. Uh, for those of you here last week, I did a one-off uh, sermon uh, that sort of pointed to the three things that we're on about as a church, faith, hope, uh, sorry, hope, community, and a fresh start. Uh, this week, we want to get back to our Galatians series. Uh, what is Galatians? You might well be asking if you haven't been in church for a while. Galatians is a letter. It's a letter. And it's written to the church in a place called Galatia. Galatia is in the north of modern-day Turkey. Okay? The guy who wrote it was this man we've been talking about, who in our first reading was called Saul and gets called Paul later on in his life, just to make it really confusing. So Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and we call the letter Galatians, the letter to the church in Galatia. Uh, we're going to see... Uh, Jerusalem, uh, which is down the bottom here. And what's happened is Paul has been entrusted with the message, the good news about Jesus, and has taken it around. He's planted a number of churches. One of them was in Galatia. Well, a number of them were in Galatia. He's then moved on and he's in other places doing more church planting. While he's been away, teachers have come from Jerusalem all the way up to Galatia there, and are starting to twist the message that Paul gave them. They're messing it up. And they're saying, we came from headquarters. Right? We came from headquarters in Jerusalem. What we're telling you is the real deal. Anyway, Paul's moved on, hasn't he? So you should listen to us. So Paul, far away from Galatia, is writing a letter to this church that he loved that he started to say, hey guys, I want you not to abandon the beautiful truth that I gave you. And today is the start of his defence to say, here's why you should listen to what I've said before. In order to get that confidence that Paul talks about, we're going to go to Damascus. 
Now, I did a thing. Google Maps is really cool. I don't know if you've ever used Google Maps. Google Maps has got this little thing where you can draw a line from one city to another, and it'll tell you how far away it is. Have you tried that out? Very cool. Anyway, so you go click, click, and it said Damascus is exactly 200 kilometres away from Jerusalem. So that's your bonus piece of information for today. Uh, It's 200 kilometres away. We pick up the story that was in our first reading with Paul travelling from Jerusalem as a Jew to Damascus. And he's got a full head of steam. He's, uh, he's not very nice, actually, uh, when we first meet him. So if you'd like to open up, we're going we're to look in Galatians. So you've got that open on page 1167. We're going to go back to Acts uh, chapter 9 and just have a look again at this, this bit where uh, our first reading was. So page 1100, I think it is. Uh, Acts chapter 9. And uh, if you go there with me, uh, we're on a highway. I'm sure it looked exactly like this, by the way. This is a photograph of the highway. Uh, we're on a highway, and, uh, and here's what happens. Acts chapter 9. Uh, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Doesn't sound like a guy who'd write a letter to a church yet, does it? No. So Paul was a Jew, a very fierce, passionate Jew, and he was angry about the fact that this Christian church had started and he didn't like it. Okay? He wrote Galatians a lot later and we're going to see why when we have a look here. He went to the high priest in Jerusalem and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's, an, that's a, a way of talking about Christianity, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, so we're all clear, it's a supernatural encounter, bright light, voice from heaven. Interestingly enough, how cool is this? The voice knows his name. We could just read straight past that, couldn't we? It could be a voice from heaven says, Hey, you. Yes, you. No, the guy who's looking around, wondering who... Do you know what I mean? The voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I think Saul has a little bit of a heart attack. And he says, Who are you, Lord? Why does he say, Who are you, Lord? Here's the thing, Paul, Saul, Saul the Jew, would have thought he was on a mission from God. Do you get it? He's the faithful Jew. He's stopping this ridiculous Christianity thing catching on. So when the voice comes from heaven, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Persecute me. I figure I'm doing the right thing for God. I'm persecuting the the ridiculous people. So how could the voice from heaven be saying, why do you persecute me? So I assume flat on his face on the ground, Saul says, who are you, Lord? The answer, I will suggest to you, changed the world. The answer changed the world. The reason that you and I are sitting here today knowing about Jesus is because of the answer. Have a listen to what the voice from heaven said. 
I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And you kind of sit here and go, oh yeah, right. (laughs) That's not very earth shattering. Why should that make any difference? Here's why. Saul knew that he was serving God. That's that's why he was persecuting these ridiculous Christians. I'm I'm on a mission from God. The voice says, why do you persecute me? And Saul goes, who are you? The voice says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. In that moment, Saul's whole life is flipped upside down. Hang on, hang on. Hang on. The voice from heaven is Jesus. This ridiculous sect, this cult that's catching on and messing up Judaism, the voice from heaven is Jesus. Wow. And then, and then it adds, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul's going, no, 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 sorry. I'm, I'm persecuting Christians, right? Who are doing the wrong thing. He says, I am Jesus and the people you are persecuting are connected to me. When you persecute the church, you persecute me. Jesus and his church are one. Jesus is divine, and Paul has found himself as God's enemy. He couldn't have been more wrong. And then, uh, how gracious is God? Like, he could have just left Saul groveling in the sand. He does leave him blind, which is a fair punishment. Uh, So he's blind, he's groveling in the sand, his friends pick him up and lead him into into, uh, Damascus. Now, God does then something completely amazing. Have a look at what he does. Uh, There's a man named Ananias, who's a Christian in Damascus, and God appears to him or calls to him in a vision, Ananias. Do you notice how God's got the phone book? Oh, this guy, his name's Ananias. Right, Ananias. Ananias? God knows. Isn't that beautiful? God knows people's names. Just think about how awesome that is. Ananias. Now, Ananias is faithful. He doesn't say, who are you, Lord? What does he say? Have a look at verse 10. Yes, Lord, he answered. Faithful man. He says, yes, Lord. The Lord told him. Have a listen to how specific this is. It's crazy awesome, isn't it? Uh, Verse 11. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Oh, do you really mean me? Do you have someone in mind? I mean, how awesome is this? God knows the street directory in Damascus. He knows where Saul is. He's given Saul a vision of a man with a name that matches his name. And he's to go and be used by God. How awesome is that? So Ananias goes along, but he adds something to him. Have a look at this. I think this is the second bit of information that will change the world. Have a look at verse 15, chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, what's a Gentile? A Gentile is everyone who's not a Jew. 
What was Paul doing? He's, he's a superhero for the Jewish team, right? That's why he's trying to stamp out this cult of Christianity. I'm on God's team. God cares about the Jews. It's all about the Jews. God gives a message to Ananias and says, Ananias, you need to tell this bloke, the message from me is, go, I'm sending you to everyone else. Everyone else. Your job is to go to the Gentiles. It also says, mind you, just to make sure that he doesn't mess it, it also says, uh, and to their kings, and to the people of Israel, and in case that wasn't enough for you, Verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Wow. By the way, it's interesting, isn't it? God, I wish you'd just tell me what you want me to do. Has anyone ever had that thought? God, just make it clear to me. Why don't you tell me what you'd like me to do with my life? Well, here's God telling someone what he wants him to do with his life. Go to your enemies. Go to their kings. Continue to go to your people. And I'm going to show you it's going to be a life of suffering. How's that sound? It's pretty stunning, isn't it? So I'm saying to you today that this message, those words, are what changed the world because it took a passionate Jew and turned his life upside down, made him a believer in the Lord Jesus and set him on a passionate course that he would follow until his death, proclaiming Jesus to the people who were previously thought to be outside God's plan, the Gentiles. Extraordinary. And so uh, Ananias is so faithful. He's so faithful. He does go. He lays hands on him. And he says this in verse 17, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Holy Spirit, baptism, scales down. I'm good to go. All right, let's jump back to Galatians. Uh, Galatians chapter 1. Uh, so it was on page, what was it, 1167 or something like that, I think. Uh, where are we? Galatians. Yes, 1167. All right. So Paul has got some people who are in the church who are saying to him, he's no good. He got his gospel message from other people. He should defer to head office, the guys in Jerusalem. And so here's Saul's, Paul's response. He says this, verse 11. Chapter 1, verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus. So here's the thing. You might think, so did, did Paul have private lessons where he sat down with a whiteboard and some PowerPoint slides and got taught the, the, the gospel by Jesus? I'm saying to you, no. I think what happened was that on the road to Damascus was the whole gospel because who God picked was a man called Saul and he had a bunch of stuff already in place. Have a look at verses uh, 13 to 14 where we hear what his previous life had been like. Uh, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. That's a good resume for a preacher, isn't it? 
I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, oh sorry, I'll just stop there. And was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. What does that mean? Paul was the best Jew you could find. Of all the crazy Jews who loved the scriptures, he was at the top of the pile. And then he was adding to that a zeal, which meant he was ready to stamp out cults like Christianity, right? So he had the whole Old Testament under his control. He was passionate for God. The only one problem he had was he was wrong. But God didn't say, forget all the Old Testament you've learned. What God did was he clicked a little torch on and all of a sudden, all of that vast knowledge that Saul had sprung to life and he could see in the Old Testament God's amazing plan preparing for Jesus to be the saviour of the world. And so what God then had was the man who was all over the Old Testament who understood Jesus and I think was the most perfectly prepared person to take his good news out into the world. Extraordinary. And so we have a man who did not receive his gospel from anyone else except for Jesus. And all Jesus had to say was, the one you're persecuting is me, I'm God, and the church is mine. Oh, and by the way, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. I reckon that was the entirety of the revelation that he received. But because God was so gracious, when those scales fell from his eyes, his heart was opened. And he went, God, this is your plan for the whole universe. I'm in. I'm in. So he went and became a preacher who was formerly a persecutor. And we see that this wasn't just a plan that God went, oh, Saul's getting a bit out of hand. We might need a plan B for this guy. Have a look with me at the fact that he was prepared in advance for this. Look at verse 15. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was prepared to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. In other words, before he was born, God chose him for this purpose. Paul's gospel was revealed, not received. No, nobody taught him it. Jesus revealed it to him in a blinding flash and a voice from heaven. So what's the, uh, what's the helpfulness of that? Paul's saying here to the church in Galatia, my gospel, the good news I'm preaching to you, where's it from? It's from Jesus. So you better listen. Okay, point number two. Uh, if we have a look a little bit later in, uh, in Acts chapter 9, you won't need to go back there, I'll read it to you. Uh, after he was converted on the road to Damascus, chapter 9 verse 20 says this, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you reckon that surprised, that surprised anyone? All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the one who raised havoc in Jerusalem and among those who call him on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yes, is the answer to that question. Verse 22, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Jerusalem by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Awesome. Sees the revelation from heaven, 
gets his heart changed. And what does he do? Straight away. Oh, oh, where do I go? Well, on, on Saturday, I'm going to be in the synagogue. What am I going to be doing? Preaching Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Did you not know this? The whole Old Testament tells it. See, here and here and here and here, Jesus is the Messiah. Everyone was totally freaked out. But here's the thing. Because God had prepared him so well, Saul was able to open the Bible and just nail it right from the start. Day three, he's good to go and he's preaching Jesus. Fantastic. How do the uh, other, other people who named Jesus uh, respond? Well, after a while, the Jews decide to kill him. So that's helpful. He escapes because some of the people who are now his disciples, followers of him, let him down out of the city in a basket at night. He wanders up to Jerusalem, it says in 926, and he tried to join the disciples. You'll love this. But they were afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. No surprises there. In Galatians, we see how this works out. He says in, uh, in uh, chapter 1, verse 18, After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing is no lie. Then I went to Syria and, uh, to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Why have I got a big U-turn arrow up there? His life was totally turned around. Totally turned around. The gospel was transforming him. It wasn't transferred to him by other people. It wasn't transferred to him by anyone. He went up to Jerusalem and the people in Jerusalem didn't do anything apart from be afraid of him. But his own life had been utterly transformed by Jesus. Here's something I want to tell you today. The gospel is the source of new life. And I want you to think of the, the person you imagine. Look around the church today. Look, there's some empty seats. We've still got room here. I want you to think what's the most unlikely person that you know who could sit in this building. Can you think of them now? Maybe it's you. Maybe you're thinking... I never thought I would sit in a church. I never thought I would. Maybe it's you. But maybe you can think of someone and you go, they would never come here, right? There's just no way in the world. What I want you to know is God picked the man who was killing his own followers, exposed him to the truth of Jesus, and it changed his life. Do you believe that in Jesus is a life-transforming message? Transformed my life. I hope he's at work transforming yours. Do you believe it? Because I want this church to be filled up with people who are the unlikeliest people to come to church. That you and I might give thanks with them that God's been at work. It says uh, in Acts chapter 11 that uh, eventually Paul did go up to, uh, to Jerusalem again. Uh, it says in Acts chapter 11, verse 25, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, places you don't need to worry. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That's a good little piece of trivia. File that away. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus, great name, can't work out why there aren't more of them in our kids' ministry, stood up, 
and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Here's the thing. They took up a collection for the poor in Jerusalem at head office. That's why it's the city up there. And they sent the money to head office to say, look after the people who are brothers and sisters with us in Jerusalem. Who took the money? Saul and Barnabas. So they went up to Jerusalem. He then talks about this in Galatians 2 verses 1 to 7. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took also Titus along. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. In other words, he did a bit of show and tell. Here's what I've been saying. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Here's the thing. We're going to hear a lot about circumcision. Isn't that a wonderful thing to talk about in church? We're going to hear a lot about circumcision in the coming chapters. And you might scratch your head and go, seriously, why would we talk about this? God told the Jewish people that one of the marks of the covenant was to remove the foreskin of the men. Okay, it's called circumcision. It was supposed to be a sign that they were God's people set aside for him. Okay, now the reality is you become part of God's family now by trusting in Jesus, not by any physical marks. Incidentally, you don't need a cross tattoo. You don't need a physical mark. By the way, you want to be circumcised or you want to have a cross tattoo? No problems. Just don't believe that the physical thing you've done to your body is what's making you right with God. And so what he's saying here is, oh, we went up to Jerusalem And I saw those at head office. And when we went, I brought along a Greek guy who wasn't circumcised. And when he met with the leaders, guess what? He wasn't asked to be. So back in Galatia, in this church, where people are coming into the church and teaching another message, that if you want to be on God's team, you better be circumcised. You better start obeying the law. Paul's going, look, the reality is I went to head office. I took a Greek along. He wasn't asked to do anything. I told them what I told you, and they changed nothing. What happened in Jerusalem was that Paul's gospel was recognized as being true. He was not rebuked. And so Paul's saying, guys, I checked this out. Nobody stopped me. In fact, they didn't even add this ridiculous thing that you're now asking all these Greek men to do. It didn't happen that way. So the gospel we have is for freedom. It's freedom from all the obligations of the law. And if anyone tells you it's the gospel about Jesus, the good news about Jesus, plus circumcision, plus law, plus being baptised in a particular church, 
plus giving money, plus, 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 plus anything equals nothing. That is not the message you heard. You have heard a message of freedom. A message of freedom. The gospel is for freedom. Now, this next bit's really important. I put up uh, some instructions here. Apparently, this is how to give a soul brother handshake. So um, you can practice this afterwards. Apparently, we link thumbs and then we rock side to side like that. So if anyone wants to give that a go, that'd be good. Tell you why I've got that up there. I've got that up there because of this next little bit of our reading. So just to finish up, have a look at uh, verses uh, 8 to 10. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. In other words, he was sent to the Jews and I was sent to everyone else. James, Cephas and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked is that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do all along. What happened when he went to head office? They shook hands. They recognized that they were partners in God's plan to reach the whole world, not competitors. They had a common message, not a different message. And so these guys worked out, we're partners. We're partners in God's plan to win the whole world. So the gospel is a message for the whole world. The gospel is a message for the whole world. So here's the summary. Paul's gospel is from Jesus. If you've got issues with Paul, take it up with Jesus. Paul's message is the source of new life and what a living billboard Saul was. Hey, guess what? God loves sinners. How do I know? He says in the letter to Timothy, I'm the worst of them. And do you know why God picked me? He said, do you know why I'm on God's team? In order that he might make his grace appear amazing. Well, that is pretty amazing, isn't it? God chose his ultimate enemy and made him his ultimate spokesman. Brilliant. The source of new life. Paul's gospel is for freedom. He'll actually say it in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that you have been set free. Gives you that um, Mel Gibson moment, doesn't it, in um, Braveheart? Anyone with me? Anyway, we'll get to that. Maybe Matt or I will use that later. Um, It's from Jesus. It's the source of new life. It's for freedom. And fourthly, it's for the world. For the Jews, yep, Peter, you take care of them. Me, I've got the small matter of taking care of everyone else. It's for the whole world. You know, this church exists. We're here for new life. We want that start for you, for everyone who's around here, who's within a decent drive of here, who's not going somewhere else. We'd love that. I want to suggest to you today two things. You might be here today as someone who has not yet taken hold of that new life. I would like to say to you, you don't need to become a raging persecutor of the church before you can say yes to Jesus. And I would love for you to check him out with me at Jesus for the Curious this Tuesday night right here. Come along and do it. Find new life. Find freedom in Jesus. Some of you here will already be following Jesus. 
Over here, we have our values. We talk about trying to be a church who's faithful, adventurous, compassionate, and enduring. Under this adventurous value, we ask, how are you boldly sharing your life and faith? If the gospel message is for the whole world, then what if the people who have it aren't sharing it? That'd be a tragedy, wouldn't it, church? Maybe, perhaps. That'd be a tragedy, wouldn't it? Absolutely, it would be. And yet, as I sit here and say, how are you boldly sharing your life and faith? Each of you is having a quiet little heart attack. Going, I don't know. Don't make me feel guilty about it. I'm scared about it already. Here's what I'd say. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. We, we talk about connecting, caring, communicating, and lead people to commit. I want to tell you, this afternoon and for the next three weeks, I'm doing a course called Kickoff Evangelism. Three separate weeks, so you could come to just one of them if you'd like. On each separate week, I'll give you practical tips for how you can give the good news that there is new life in Jesus. I would love for you to come and do that with me. Three o'clock this afternoon here, or next week, or the week after. I'm going to pray for us that we would be a people who get the good news, who are passionately devoted like Paul to taking it out into the whole world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you saved Saul. We thank you that you revealed that you are the Lord and that your church is closely, closely loved by you. In fact, the church is your body. Father, I pray that we would love your church, that we would love you as Lord and that we would be passionately committed to knowing this good news and making it known with others. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.